Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Rotorold Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. Thank you so much for being here with me. As I say, with all these episodes in July, we're creeping towards training camp, right? That means season is just around the corner. But now is the time where you pick up all the knowledge of heading into training camp, pick up all the knowledge to win your fantasy leagues and redraft. Before we get to today's podcast, I do want to say that if you enjoy this podcast for any moment, and remember, any moment, please share it with one friend, one single friend. I can't tell you how far that would take us to widen our audience. So this week, we're going to have two episodes, one today, one on Thursday, with the overall theme of the one big question every team has to answer heading into training camp. Luckily enough, Jesse Pantusco, Nick Minzio, and Pat Doherty were all in Stamford, Connecticut for both episodes. We recorded them in studio, which is always so much easier. So thank you for sticking with us this summer. Thank you for sticking with us as we head into training camp. And I know you're going to love the two episodes this week. And we start with the AFC in this episode. Again, Thursdays will be the NFC and lead into the conversation with Pat asking his one burning question with the defending champions, New England Patriots. 19-time defending uh, (laughs) Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. And, yeah, my question for the Patriots for 2019 is this really, what kind of offense are they now? Uh, Tom Brady attempted, quote-unquote, only 570 passes last year, which is still a lot by any objective measure, but his fewest for a full season since 2010. And, you know, after Thanksgiving, they kind of kicked the offense into a different gear. They averaged, I think, 27.7 rushes per game. Over the first 10 games of the season, it was 34 after Thanksgiving. It was 38 during the playoffs. Uh, they've used the top 90 pick on an early down runner each of the past two years. And yeah. So, yeah, what do we expect on offense from the New England Patriots this year? Pat, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, though, right? Because this is a team that really kind of has warped into a, obviously, a positive or neutral game script. One, Nick, that wants to have a lot of possession and running the football and then just rely on Tom Brady to make the big-time throws when they need it, but they're not just going to spread the ball around like a lot of the rest of the NFL is doing. Yeah, that's why I'm a little actually worried about James White this season. Uh, Interesting. You saw his catches go down at times last year. doesn't get a lot of rushing attempts. So anywhere I own him in Dynasty right now, I'm just kind of like trying to get rid of him if I can. Uh, not really sell low on him, but I just I just don't think his, his role is going to be as – pass catching as it has been where I think he's I think Damian Harris and right. Rex Burkhead Sonny Michelle they're all going to get these carries and I think 
White's going to get phased out at weeks, weeks at a time. Because doesn't it, I mean, Damian Harris kind of throws a wrench in this whole thing, doesn't he, Jesse? Because at least last year, we thought we had this backfield kind of figured out, right? We had Sonny Michelle as the touchdown scorer on the ground. James White had awesome first few weeks of the season. And then Rex yeah. Burkhead was doing Rex Burkhead things every once in a while. But then now Damian Harris, again, top 90 pick, as Pat pointed out, we have no idea what his role is going to be. Yeah, I think it's it's also pretty telling that they would use a third-round pick a year after uh, right. drafting Sony Michelle 31st overall. I think that maybe signals that they are a little uh, unsure of his knee. Um, they've talked about his knee issues being chronic. But um, aside from that, I, I do see this leaning run heavy just because they don't have that many pass catchers. They lost Rob Gronkowski. I know there's rumors he might come back at some point. but uh, Not if you've seen him. Yeah, he's, uh, he does not look like... Uh, you know, the Rob Gronkowski of old. They have a rookie wide receiver in uh, Nikhil Harry, uh, Demarius Thomas coming off a really uh, tough injury to recover from, uh, Achilles tear. Um, so they're just, they're, and yeah, uh, even last year with, with Gronkowski, uh, they, I believe they were third in the league in rushing attempts. And, you know. Right. Yeah, it's an offense in transition. And Brady's going to be 42, too. I mean, we all, we all know he doesn't throw the deep ball uh, like he used to. And he's still putting up good numbers and, Played really well in the the Kansas City game, but he is gonna decline at some point. And we still have Josh Gordon just like hanging around. Yeah, that's a good point. I somehow mention him, and hopefully he does play because we know he's like their number one wide receiver if he does play. Um, and it certainly seems like it's going that direction despite no news. All right, Nick, you're up next with the um, how should we say this? The Miami Dolphins, which maybe should be last on this list because they are perennially last in that division. It seems like. Yeah, gone is Adam Gase. Uh, whole new coaching staff in. Got the Patriots. Trying to get him down south, you know, right. South Beach. Got Brian Flores running the show down there. Uh, Chad O'Shea, new OC. Demonte Parker, new fresh start. Uh, they picked up that fifth-year option for him. Uh, brought him back, gave him a clean slate. Uh, been tearing up in spring practices like every year. So is this the year Demonte Parker transitions from spring MVP to someone that actually matters on Sundays <laughs> in October? Because he's relevant like every May Every June, a little bit in July. But, Pat, when we roll around in September, Devontae Parker gets bypassed from a, you know, random wide receiver name each and every year. Yeah, he specializes in role players, kind of passing him on the depth chart. Uh, maybe even Leonte Carew did at one point. Uh, you know, surprise <laughs> and a good sign uh, for your career. I will say, uh, you know, he finally kind of has a quarterback maybe a little better tailored to his skill set and Ryan Fitzpatrick, a, a guy who likes to throw up YOLO balls and Ryan Tannehill, you know, very conservative right. down the field, not very effective down the field, even though some Dolphins well, people on Twitter. That's assuming that Fitzpatrick starts, too. Yeah, he'll probably start to begin the year. And yeah, I mean, that is a problem. That's going to be a problem if Josh Rosen for him is the week one starter. But uh, yeah, the long answer short, uh, it's not going to be. Uh, he's undefeated in the offseason and uh, very defeated in the regular season. I mean, he's basically free in fantasy right now. So, like, I would, I'd be willing to take a shot on him. He's yeah. big, long. Like, you just fall in love with these traits that he has. They brought him back. One 100 um, yard game last year, one touchdown last year. I mean, it, it's there's an nowhere to go but up from here. It's an interesting scenario, though, that the Dolphins are in, right? Because. I mean, as soon as Brian Flores was hired and they moved on from Ryan Tannehill, it was like, okay, they're planning for really the 2020 season, not 2019. But I, and even my biggest question is, are, is this team even going to be watchable? And I, and I guess that Ryan Fitzpatrick being in the mix adds some high variance, some flavor to this team. But I'm also super interested to see if Josh Rosen was brought down by the Arizona Cardinals in his rookie year and if he can develop at all in a completely new environment. 
Yeah, it's going to be one of the storylines of the year for them. And as a whole, maybe they'll be unwatchable, but they have some very watchable players. Kenyon Drake, Albert, yes, Wilson, Albert Wilson, maybe even Mike Jusecki, uh, you know, had a very standard tight end rookie year. We I'm know. excited about Kalen Blosh, too. I'm like, yeah. excited about him. Yeah, so they could have some individual uh, components that you can uh, you know, lock in Absolutely. on. Maybe try not to watch all 11 players uh, at once. But uh, Kenyon Drake, uh, good football player, but for some reason Adam Gase just never Lifelong committee back, even in Ever. college. Jesse, you're up next with the Buffalo Bills. Is there a little bit of excitement with Buffalo and just how explosive this offense might be? A little bit uh, now that they've turned it over to Josh Allen, and that's going to be what my burning question is, is if we can see um, Josh Allen take the next step as a passer, which was the knock on him coming out of Wyoming. They said he's, he's big. They were the, the comparisons to Carson Wentz just in terms of his size and athleticism, and he showed the athleticism last year by leading all quarterbacks in rushing yards. Um, but at Wyoming, which is, you know, Mountain West, not exactly a power conference, he, uh, his you know, completion percentage was hovering around 50%, and it was about the same last year in Buffalo. Didn't have a lot of weapons to work with and was still getting used to the league. So they beefed up the receiving core a little bit this mm-hmm. offseason, off got a good deep threat for him in John Brown, and obviously we know Josh Allen has a big arm, so it'll be interesting. And he has a good slot receiver in Cole Beasley. So... Yeah, that, I guess I'll open it up to you guys. I think even the offensive line additions, where they add like six offensive they linemen, did. they're just like, they're all in on Josh Allen. I mean, they're, they want to protect him. They want to give him weapons. They got Robert Foster and John Brown on the outside, Cole Beasley in the slot, uh, Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy in the backfield. So. And Devin Singletary. Yeah, like, right. four, four and TJ Yeldon. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I'll always forever be indebted to Josh Allen after his week 17 last year. I mean, this dude won so, so many people, not so many people because he was so low-owned in DFS, but... I was on him in week 17 last year, and he won right. so much money. So I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll forever love the guy. I mean, it, every single year when we look back at young quarterbacks and decision makers and, and how they handle, um, I guess, rookie year quarterbacks, it's, okay, we want to run our system, and hopefully the quarterback can do that. At least last year, the Bills kind of catered their system to Josh Allen and strengths after his injury, right? And it only seems like they are – devoting more assets into that this year, as we talked about with Robert Foster, John Brown, whoever else in terms of downfield playmakers, because we know that Josh Allen, one, not so consistent and precise in the pocket, but two, has an absolute cannon, and used that in a very talented way last year with the Bills. The problem for him, though, is that for the next step as a passer for Josh Allen is, like, occasionally completing, you know, a touch pass. So. Right. So his next step is a step that most quarterbacks you know, already have figured out by the time they're this like a freshman in college. This is why I'm like really not on the Beasley thing. It's like he's going to be running all these short routes. I'm like, yeah, can Josh Allen complete these passes? Like these not, aren't the passes he completes normally. But Josh Allen can still be really productive in fantasy without being a quote-unquote right. good right. He could good be the classic good quarterback. Right. Good in fantasy, quite in dispiriting life. in real life for the like Buffalo Lamar Bills Jackson. fan base. Uh, and I think the other thing that you talk about Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen is they run a lot. Can they protect themselves? We know Russell Wilson has... Yeah. Yeah, and I would even say that the two done a good job run of sliding, protecting himself, and not getting hurt. The two run differently, though, right? Because with Lamar Jackson, it is designed runs. With Josh Allen, it's almost an unsustainable way that he was creating his rushing production it's like my first because it was scrambles. <laughs> He's getting out huge of the pocket. Gains. We're talking thirty-yard gains. Yeah, not he, designed. He runs. averaged over eleven yards per scramble on the ground. Ridiculous, <laughs> unsustainable. And keep that in mind as we move on um, to fantasy drafts this year. Okay, I will close out this division with the. New York Jets, we talked about Adam Gase a little bit earlier, right? Adam Gase in his history has kind of been known as, I'm not going to say quarterback whisperer, but at least worked hand-in-hand with quarterbacks and 
and obviously offensive play calls. In his history, he has worked with Ryan Tannehill. In his history, he worked with a young Brock Osweiler. Neither one of those players developed under his tutelage. Now he gets Sam Darnold, who was now has the record for the youngest player ever to start week one in the NFL, who finished the season at a historic rate. I mean, was PFF's number one passer in the final three weeks of the season. I don't think he threw an interception in his final two weeks. So to me, Pat, it's all about, is Adam Gase going to help Sam Darnold's development, or is he going to derail it? Because more importantly than Adam Gase in this franchise, Sam Darnold is the New York Jets. Yeah, I mean... I guess I'll view it as a positive. I guess I'll view Adam Gase as a positive for Sam Darnold's development. It's a little concerning because Adam Gase, one of like the big bullet points on his resume for being a quarterback whisperer was briefly made Jay Cutler watchable. Yes. Um, so that's kind of like, that's been, <laughs> when that's like what has been fueling like your rise in the NFL, you know, that's a bit of a red oh, flag. Oh, coach Peyton Manning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, obviously he made Peyton Manning the, the player he was. Um, but uh, yes, I, I, let's view it as a positive because uh, Adam Gase did call it kind of a conservative offense in Miami, but basically cannot be more conservative than it was for Sam Darnold last year where the Jets were maybe the most horizontal offense in the entire NFL. They finally opened it up down the stretch, and Sam Darnold showed a lot of flash down the stretch, especially in December. And uh, so Gase is sort of conservative by nature, but I think the offense will be opened up, and they have added some more playmakers. And, you know, Adam Gase... Uh, coaching you know, for his NFL future, so he's hopefully going to try to open it up a little. We've seen Adam Gase as a play caller and a head coach for quite some time, Nick. Do you have a read on Adam Gase as a coach in the NFL? He says one thing and just does the complete opposite. Like, I remember last year at this time, he was like, let's run 75 plays a game. Let's be one of the fastest <laughs> plays offensive. Yeah, and they were like 29th in plays per game last year. Just, yeah. just vanilla offense, super slow, just methodical. I mean, I don't know what to believe with this guy. Uh, but Sam Darnold, week one last year, and then the finish to a season. Like, he had that huge game against Detroit on Monday Night Football where yeah. everyone was like, oh, my God, this guy's the next coming of something great. Maybe. Tony Romo. Right, he yeah. looks a lot like Tony Romo and how <laughs> yeah. he plays the game. It's interesting, though, because Adam Gase, and I'm not saying wins and losses are it for head coaches or anyone in the league, but he was 20, he's 23 and 26 in his career. So if you want to be super simplified – the Jets hired a proven loser to lead their 20-year-old quarterback, their 21-year-old quarterback. Proving loser franchise. And kind of high maintenance, too. He's butted heads with a lot of people, even Greg Williams right off the gate. And their GM is already out of the building after already running. And he's already leaked that he didn't approve of the Le'Veon Bell the contract. Bell, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is wild. You think he doesn't that, like any running back they give him. And you want some, I'm not saying you want to have stability from what the Jets were last year, but at least some stability in that building, and there doesn't seem to be any of it. Yeah, and it, I am worried. I am worried for Sam Darnold entering a second. I guess if you're looking for a positive sign, he clearly did not believe in Ryan Tannehill. And maybe the Jets, not maybe, the Jets, I guess, were his only opportunity, but he did take the job, which I guess maybe is an indication he's a believer yeah. in Sam Darnold. So uh, yeah, there's, if, you, if you're looking for a positive sign, you can find some straws to grasp at, basically, with Adam Gase and the Jets. And, and we're going to be talking a lot about second-year quarterbacks and rookie-year quarterbacks, but really, to me, the only thing that matters from rookie-year quarterbacks is... You have signs of consistency, like you have major flashes. And again, Darnold did that definitely during his rookie year. It's just that consistency to do that. Okay, let's move on to the AFC North. Patrick Doherty and the Baltimore Ravens talking about another second-year quarterback. Another second-year quarterback, another second-year dual-threat quarterback. And, yeah, I mean, the defining question for the Ravens is can Lamar Jackson present enough of a threat as a passer to keep opposing defenses honest because I mean, he didn't do that really. I mean, he, he did it at times last year, but I mean, he got completely erased in totally. the wild card round by the Chargers. Just a horrible performance. Uh, 
Averaged 23 pass attempts per game and 17 rushing attempts per game. Completely unheard of for an NFL quarterback, especially in the modern era. We were talking about it in the green room before. I can't quite remember the stat, but the Ravens were, after Lamar Jackson took over a starter last year, one of the most run-heavy teams since the 1970s. I think maybe the most run-heavy team in terms of rushes per game since the late 1970s. And, you know, they know that has to change. They added Marquise Brown. Uh, they're trying. Miles Boykin. Yeah, and they're trying to trying to uplift everyone here. They, they promoted Greg Roman, so they're going all in on Lamar Jackson's skill set. They've talked about, I think he was working with Tom House maybe this offseason, yeah. mechanics guru. So they're on it, but it's, yeah, very up in the air if he can do it. Jesse, you talked about Buffalo adding John Brown. John Brown with Joe Flacco at the start of last season was fantastic, but as soon as Lamar Jackson was inserted, I mean, there was just no downfield passing. I believe he had eight catches in the seven games they played together. I mean, horrific. That's awful. And now... You, this, you get Marquise Brown, who's a really similar skill set as totally. a downfield burner in the, in the same vein as, a, yeah, a John Brown or a Deshaun Jackson type. So, to me, I interpret that as, okay, we shouldn't expect a lot production-wise from guys like Miles Boykin and Marquise Brown. But that's just from a team-building, offense-building standpoint, right, Nick? Because you want to keep the defense and defensive backs honest so you don't have eight-man boxes all the time for the Mar Jackson and Mark Ingram to run into. Right. I mean, I think the guy that Micah overlooked in this offense is probably like Mark Andrews, like yes, tight end, late-round tight end. He showed some chemistry with Jackson last year, especially in the playoffs, caught a long touchdown. Um, Vastly outproduced. Jackson his admitted. First team. Yeah. They have a lot of tight ends, though, too. You got Hayden yeah. Hurst will probably play a bigger role now that he's healthy, healthy-ish this year. He's is so it? old, though. He is. I mean, he's like 26 he, years old. He's yeah. not the a oldest joke. person at this desk. <laughs> <laughs> Here's, I mean, I, and I think it's a great point because the middle of the field is kind of where Lamar Jackson is going right. to make his money as a passer. And so maybe Willie Steen, we can throw him in there as well. But you mentioned the two names, and Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. And we have a lot of time until fantasy drafts, but it's important to note that now that Mark Andrews completely outplayed Hayden Hurst. But Hayden Hurst early on in preseason, I remember, was being featured heavily but then he goes and I think breaks his foot or has an operation on his foot and missed a lengthy period of time. And so entering the second year, I'll be interested to see how much, you know, 12 personnel they do try out in the field. Yeah, you would think it'd be a lot, just the way the offense is designed and the way the depth chart is set up, as we mentioned, with, I believe, 28 tight ends. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And rushing production always does matter with quarterbacks. And I think that Lamar's is probably more sustainable than Josh Allen's, as we talked about, because it was a lot of designed runs. All right, Nick, you're up next. The Pittsburgh Steelers. It's been a pretty quiet offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, right? drama's out of town. No Le'Veon Bell, no <laughs> Antonio Brown. But the Antonio Brown uh, left town. So the pass-happy Steelers, led, they led the league in passing attempts last year. So I'm really interested to see who wins this number two receiver job. And yes. at the same time, if Juju Smith-Schuster can prove that he can be a number one receiver in the NFL. I mean, he struggled in that one, like that a week 17 game against the Bengals last year where Brown didn't play. And so... Brown kind of gave him some trouble on social media for not being a number one receiver. So I'm, I'm really interested to see if Juju can elevate his game to even a higher level and be like that elite wide receiver one. So, Because you mentioned the number two wide receiver gig, and it's important because not every team can really sustain two pass catchers of over 1,000 yards or right. that are fantasy relevant. And the Steelers historically have been one for quite some time. Um, at that number two receiver spot, and maybe the number one on the outside, right, because Juju right. does his best work in the slot, it's Dante Moncrief. It's James Washington, who's in year two coming off of the second-round pick. And it's Deontay Johnson, who's a third-round pick of this year that not too many people know that much about, Pat. I mean, is there a favorite in that gig, or is it something that we're just going to see a drastic difference in this team? 
I'm assuming the Steelers want it to be James Washington, but they're already hedging kind of with their public leaks on very impressed with Dante Moncrief and his wide receiver Kristen Michael by yeah the way. and James Washington Steelers receivers have kind of had a tendency to struggle as rookies and then sometimes usually break out as sophomores they've had a shakier track record in recent years you know, they kind of used to be like the receiving drafting team in the NFL not so much over the past five or six years but I'm assuming they want it to be James Washington they're probably teaching him you know you don't need to dive every catch <laughs> he did like extremely frustrating things all the time last year but he's a guy who could really Really benefit you know, from kind of knowing uh, he's going to be a big part of the offense. I'm sure has been built up all off season. Uh, so I think they want it to be James Washington, but it definitely could be Dante Moncrief, just because we have no clue. James Washington did not look ready as a yeah. rookie, which he's not the first rookie not to look ready. But it's far from a given that he's going to look ready as a sophomore. Quickly, Jesse, do you buy the stuff about James Conner sharing more opportunities with Jalen Samuels, with Benny Snell, whoever else? Because we. We hear this stuff in May and June and July, and you guys blurb it. But then when it's actually put into practice, the Steelers have always and seem like forever will be a one-back offense. I don't want it to be true because I want it to be nice and simple for fantasy purposes. James, you know, James Conner is going to get all, yeah. the, all the touches. But uh, I don't know. He, he wore down a little bit last season. And one guy I wanted to mention before we move on, I guess, would be Vance McDonald. He was third on the team in targets last year. Jesse James left for Detroit. So I think... He might be a good target in the middle of the field for Roethlisberger as well. And I think Moncrief gets just too much. I think people hate. Yeah, too much you hate because Moncrief. I love Moncrief because yeah. I mean Ray. he played with Jacoby Brissett for a full season and then went and played with Blake Bortles for a full season. I mean, like the, the guy's playing with the worst quarterbacks <laughs> in the league. And but the, before that, he caught like what was it seven touchdowns from Andrew Luck the sure. season before he was that. So good at catching in like nine games too. As a year yeah. hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Was, so if the dude can stay healthy, he has like all the raw traits you want. He's fast. He's big. He can win downfield. He can make tough catches over the middle. So right. I'm excited to see him with Roethlisberger. This will be his his coming out party if he can win that job. I think. No excuses this year, basically. Yeah, no excuses. I wouldn't be surprised to see him be still just more of like a red zone threat than a compiler, which you know doesn't yeah. isn't always what you want in fantasy. He made a great point about Vance McDonald. I think Vance McDonald will be the number two target because with Jesse James gone, I think it was 158 targets are gone Jeez. with Antonio Brown. And when it comes to the backfield, the Steelers' backfield, uh, I will say one of the people fueling that narrative that is, might, James Connor. is James Conner himself. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, let's move on. We just talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers losing a lot of players. Jesse, the Cleveland Browns are different because they've just been adding a lot of football players. Maybe the most intrigue of any team as we head into training camp is around the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, the, the hype's almost out of control. They are the betting favorites to win that division now. And, uh, yeah, this is their window. They went all in. They, they traded a lot to get uh, Odell Beckham, who is reunited with Jarvis Landry, his old LSU teammate uh, now. And, uh, and, and they took a flyer on, con- sort of controversially, on Kareem Hunt, who obviously has had a lot of off-field issues, but uh, was extremely productive in Kansas City, too. So uh, my question what is, is, I mean, is this team ready for the spotlight? Is, hmm. I, I don't think Cleveland has had this much hype. Maybe... In my lifetime, you know? Right. It's, it's an interesting one because, you know, a year ago, none of us even knew who Freddie Kitchens was, right? And then when he takes over as the play caller down the stretch, once Hugh Jackson and all that goes down, um, he impresses everyone. And now we're just to expect that Freddie Kitchens is going to just continue what he started last year, maybe even take the next step. Again, just 365 days ago, Pat, 
we had no clue who this dude was. We didn't. And there's already been weird rumors of like off-season rancor between uh, Freddie Kitchens and Todd, Todd Monken. So that's kind of a storyline to keep an eye on. But I think the Browns are ready to take the next step, but not because of all the additions they made. I, th- I think it's just honestly all about Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield is a special player. Maybe the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. Maybe even leaping Andrew Luck in that regard. And he's just a different kind of dude. You know, he's one of those like all-time kind of like sports psychos, like so focused on winning. Like he, he's just a different kind of prospect and, you know, was, was so encouraging down the stretch last year and obviously a huge additions, but I think it's just all about Baker Mayfield and I think they're ready and I think it's because of him and not anyone else. I Nick, there's a huge issue here that needs to be addressed is the offensive line. Just about to bring that up to you. <laughs> yeah. Left tackle, what are you, you're going to run Greg Robinson out there for 16 games? I mean, this guy is not good. The way they, they cut Desmond Harrison for being late to OTAs. Uh, Chris Hubbard's not good on the right side. Traded put a lot of faith in Zeitler. Austin. Yeah. Put, a lot of, put a lot of faith in Austin Corbett at a guard spot. Traded Kevin Zeitler, like you said, as part of the Odell Beckham trade. So this offensive line is looking real shaky. So they're going to, I mean, they're going to find some tight ends that can block a little bit off the edge, especially on the left side. And if I can do some self-reflection real quick, a year ago I was super excited about David Njoku entering what, I guess it was year two, Takes tight ends a little bit of time, but we're mentioning all these new names at wide receiver. Maybe David Njoku, if he adds even more of an element in, what, I guess, year three, that takes them up even another notch. Okay, I will look at myself in the mirror and go with the Cincinnati Bengals here. Um, Look, this is a team that hired Zach Taylor from the Los Angeles Rams. Zach Taylor has had a rise, a quick rise. I mean, just a couple years ago... I believe he was the assistant wide receivers coach, then quarterbacks coach for one year, and now he's the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Remember back to 2017 with the L.A. Rams, Sean McVay's first year. There were no expectations for that team. And then Sean McVay goes out there and has a quarterback in Jared Goff throw 27 touchdowns and eight interceptions, a running back that goes over 2,000 total yards, including 64 receptions, and three wide receivers to catch over 40 passes. How much... Because it's clear that the Bengals want the same um, projection and production from Zach Taylor. Does this team have enough talent to sustain that level of success that McVay was able to inject immediately with the Rams? They got the stars. Joe Mixon, A.J. Green. I love you can throw Tyler Boyd in there. I mean, not, not, as, a star. not as a star, but as like a legitimate offensive yeah. player in the NFL. Especially in this offense. Probably there will be more to go around. It won't be as slow and methodical marching your way down the field like Marvin Lewis's teams used to be but I think they got the talent I mean AJ Green is legit studies coming off an injury but he had the same injury four years ago bounce back had maybe his best year after the same injury so I love AJ Green at his price this year I love Joe Mixon as an RB1 especially if he's going to get that Todd Gurley type workload but offensive line again has a concern here lost number one pick Jonah Williams already supposed to be their left tackle they're gonna have to kick Cordy Glenn back out to left guard or from left guard back out to left tackle their guard situation, like the interior of their line just is not good. It's I mean, trash. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something we always look at, you know, with the Rams, because they are flashy. They have so many great skill position players. But what's allowed them to be so successful in the last, what, two or three years, I guess two years, has been how consistent, one, injury-wise, and two, play-wise for their offensive line. And one, it was major questions heading in that first year, but talent-wise, Jesse, like the Bengals' offensive line just, it's not that, it's not there. Yeah, and, and I think Zach Taylor is a, sort of a great unknown. We're going to talk about Matt LaFleur later, too. It's just anyone that has, like, talked to Sean McVay recently seemed to get higher this offseason. 
And uh, yeah, I'm a little worried about the lack of uh, experience, especially after you know having Marvin Lewis for almost two decades. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a big change. The coaching staff you hired was maybe one of the saddest, <laughs> saddest staffs I've ever <laughs> seen right. put so, together. First off, to say Zach Taylor has no experience is he was the interim offensive coordinator for the Dolphins yep. for one month in 2015. So he's basically a head coach uh, doing that. And yeah, as Nick alluded to, the uh, the coaching search, the coordinator search for Zach Taylor was a Nobody Quite alarming. No one wanted, wanted the, the job, job, and they settled on a, a nepotism case in Brian Callahan as offensive coordinator. So Zach Taylor is really an unknown, uh, is an unknown, and Brian Callahan's like an order of magnitude greater as an unknown. So yeah. just don't know what to expect. Like Nick said, there's a lot of talent, but of course the one known known the Bengals have is Andy Dalton, which maybe which is the hardest, purgatory. Maybe the hardest ceiling in all of football. So yeah, let's move on to the Houston Texans. Pat, turning this back over to you. Again, not a quiet offseason for the no. Houston Texans. Um, we know they have a quarterback in place. We know they have playmakers around them. So, Pat, what's the one burning question here for the Texans? Yeah, not a quiet offseason. We know Adam Gase. We talked about his love of power struggles. But Bill O'Brien kind of quietly is the number one power struggler yeah, in the NFL. <laughs> and uh, to me, the number one question for the Texans is, can Will Fuller regain his pre-injury form? Because uh, they're just a different offense with Deshaun Watson when Will Fuller's healthy. And we're talking about a guy that you know, was known for soft tissue injuries is now returning from like a devastating orthopedic injury. And uh, so Will Fuller has a truly special trait. You know, one of the fastest players in the NFL. One of the fastest players in modern, all of modern football. This, four, three, two, 40 at this the entire century. And he plays that fast. He, does, he just doesn't have like a good 40. Like he plays that fast. But so like for that, if, if you're coming back and you lose even 5% of your speed, that could be an issue. And so if he's not all the way 100%, you know, he just might not be the same player. He might not be the player the Texans need. And to me, that, that's going to be Will Fuller's form is like the defining question uh, for the Texans offense this season. He has some ridiculous touchdown rate while playing with Deshaun Watson, right? I have it written down. Uh, 11 games together, 14 touchdowns. Oh. It's wild. <laughs> That's very wild. It's wild. <laughs> and it's a team that has understood that, well... About a 1,200-yard pace, too. And they just haven't been healthy together. And, Pat, I believe we just talked about this on the podcast. Like, y- you can put, you know, parameters on statistics and production in the NFL, but 11 games together is nothing. Like, that's not a sample size. (laughs) But we've already seen it be outstanding. And and I guess, Nick, the biggest thing that the Texans have done this offseason, and they've done a lot, is at least try to improve the offensive line. The only question is if it's going to work, and I don't think it's an answerable question right now. Yeah, I mean, there's no nothing worse than Julian Davenport, so (laughs) all you can do is go from there at left tackle. So what they draft Titus Howard, Howard yeah Alabama right now, looks like Matt State. Khalil is going to play yeah. left tackle oh, which is that might be that worse than Jerry Devin, yeah. honestly <laughs> that might be worse but uh I mean they're putting a lot of faith in Kiki QT inside yep. uh Will Fuller they want they're obviously expecting him to rebound they didn't do anything at receiver really they still DeAndre Hopkins Will Fuller Kiki QT that's going to be the trio right there so I, I mean I like this offense just Sean Watson's proved he can Special escape play. pressure yeah he can escape pressure all the pressure that comes on him even if it's just awful protection, so and he invites it too. Yeah. I think like that's his style a little bit. Yeah. And we talked about it with with the Steelers that you know not many teams can sustain two thousand yard receivers. I think if the Texans stay healthy, they're definitely one of those teams that can yeah, do. They that. don't have like anything. I mean, they have they have players at tight end, but it's all players at like a, a grab bag of sorts. Like, no no standout tight end here. So I, the offense is going through the, the receivers. Nick Minzio, back at you. The Indianapolis Colts, maybe the team that took the biggest step forward in twenty eighteen. What's it look like for them in 2019? Loving it. I mean, 
the offensive line went from one of the worst in the sport to maybe the best. Uh, Quentin Nelson proved to be a huge difference maker at, at, at the guard spot. Anthony Costanzo stayed healthy at left tackle. Had probably his best season yet. Uh, Braden Smith at right tackle yep. who played guard during his career at Auburn. Andrew Luck took the fewest sacks of his career probably last year. I mean, I didn't look he it did, up, and I did. assume he did. Um, uh, what we're going to see, what we're going to ask here is Andrew Luck. Can he was second in pass attempts last year? Can he overtake Patrick Mahomes be the overall QB one this year? Wow! After being QB five last year, I mean, fastest paced offense, fastest paced offense in the league last year. I mean, I think he can do it. It's it's you know trying to put myself where I was a year ago, right? Like this is a team that didn't add that much in free agency, right? It was still T. Y. Hilton, and you add at the time. Eric Ebron, okay. You add Ryan Grant after his failed physical with what? Baltimore, I believe? Yeah. Um, now, this is a team that, oh, Eric Ebron, definitely. Oh, Jack Doyle, yeah. T.Y. Hilton, always there. Then you add on Devin Funches, you add on Paris Campbell, and it's a complete shift in how excited we are for the offensive weapons around Andrew Luck. Well, yeah, and I think that makes for some very uh, complicated fantasy decisions yes. coming up in the next month. Um, we know. I think we have a pretty good idea of what we're getting in T.Y. Hilton, but Eric Ebron broke out for 13 touchdowns last year. Most of it was without Jack Doyle, who we know, uh, obviously, he is not very durable, but when he's been on the field, he's shown good chemistry as sort of a safety valve in the middle of the field for luck. Um, so I think all, all, all of it's good for luck because he has a ton of weapons, but uh, in, in terms of figuring out who, who we want to draft after T.Y. Hilton, uh, I'm not so sure. I, the Colts, it's a very interesting question. Uh, to me, you can't really answer the question because you don't know Tyreek Hill's status, which right. is kind of like the defining variable in the Andrew Luck or Patrick Mahomes. But I do think the Colts still have room to improve in the efficiency department. Andrew Luck's arm strength, you know, was still kind of shaky the first three or four games last year before he really got in rhythm. Uh, they've improved the weapons, like you said. They went from having the worst offensive line to one of the best. Uh, their sack percentage was by far, it was with Jacoby Brissett, was by far the worst in the league in 2017. It was by far the best in the league in 2018. Andrew Luck, you know, learning this new offense last year, his, his last full season was 2016. He was one of the slowest in the league to get rid of, rid of the ball, even behind a terrible offensive line. Last year he was one of the fastest. And just, you know, and this was all something he was kind of doing on the fly. So I think they'd still have room to grow in the efficiency department, which means room to grow in fantasy. And what I love about this for fantasy purposes is you get to play nine games in a dome next year. Eight at home and then one in Houston at the nice. very minimum. So I don't know what the rest of her schedule looks like. Maybe more dome games are on there, but guaranteed at least nine. So that's a fantasy, fantasy friendly environment. So it's, it's conducive to putting up numbers. Jesse, to you with Tennessee Titans. I watched 16 games of the Tennessee Titans last year. Um, and I did not know who the Tennessee Titans were. Um, now, we don't even get a second year of the same offensive coordinator in Matt LaFour. Again, not good on your resume to not have an identity in offense. But at least they ended the season, Jesse, with Derrick Henry running over defenses. But the, to me, Marcus Mariota has just always been a question mark since his rookie season. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what my burning question is going to be. It, Marcus Mariota, I mean, the stakes have never been higher for him. He is in uh, his player op- or uh, team option fifth year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a big, big payday coming if he can have, have a good season. But it's interesting that both he and uh, Jameis Winston were, you know, number one and two picks and didn't get uh, those, those big paydays that went to Carson Wentz and other people. 
Um, I believe Mariota only had 11 touchdowns last year, was really conservative. He hasn't proven that he can stay healthy. They have, uh, you know, some decent wide receivers with Corey Davis, and they just drafted A.J. Brown. So I think the weapons are there. Um, it's just kind of put up or shut up time for him, honestly. It's like, who's this, like, when they hired this off Arthur Smith, I'm like, is this guy a, a Madden-created coach? I'm like, I he wasn't in our Rotorball database. Is. He's literally yeah. a FedEx heir. So he's like, you know, so, hey, he's in this for the love of the game because he's oh. very wealthy. Um, Interesting. But yeah, so he you can't question his intentions, but, uh, yeah, he's a very unknown. But, like... I, I do believe that the Titans' identity that they showed us last year, and who knows, it could, could drastically change in the preseason, maybe we find out that. It's give Derrick Henry a lot of carries and have positive or neutral game script. Sure, that's great on paper, but it's not going to work, and at some point, Marcus Mariota has to elevate his game. Pat, is he ever going to do that outside of one or Like, against the Eagles, he did it last year, but I can't point to another time that he did. Yeah, he does it two or three times a year. He's basically the new Ryan Tannehill, which uh, now he is... Backed up by Ryan Tannehill, so uh, maybe not a great sign for his future. Uh, the Titans are obviously losing belief. Like you said, they, he didn't get the long-term contract extension you usually get by now if you're a first-round quarterback. Uh, you know, the, the Titans, if they had a even like vaguely decent backup quarterback, would have made the playoffs last year, but they had Blaine Gabbert. So they, the fact that they urgently addressed backup quarterback, you know, another sign that they are uh, losing belief in Marcus Mariota. And they did improve his weapons, but. Uh, yeah, it, this is the when you think of a make or break season, that's what Marcus Mariota's two thousand nineteen. One is. good thing for him is a healthy Delaney Walker too. Yeah. Who is kind Delaney of, Walker's kind, 37, kind of been, 38. Um, but he's, he's been insanely bad. consistent and productive when healthy, and you only played thirty nine snaps we, last we year with a broken ankle. Fairly large sample size of Marcus Mariota with Delaney Walker, and it's not like uh, you're right. It's important that he's coming back, but uh, yeah. I'll close out this group with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, talk about bad game plans. <laughs> Um, Jacksonville, we know that in 2017, I, I mean, I guess the question is, was that their peak, right? Because in 2017, we know that they went far in the playoffs, and it was based on just historic caliber defense and not having Blake Boros completely implode the offensive gameplay in the passing game. Okay, you want to run the ball a lot in 2018 and rely on year-to-year consistent historic defense? That's not a sustainable winning model. No. In the NFL. So now, again, Blake Boyles is gone. He's with the Rams out west. And now you bring in Nick Foles. Um, I do wonder how much Nick Foles can help this offense. You talked about kind of is the barometer just to be better than someone else earlier. Okay, is the barometer for Nick Foles just to be a little bit better than Blake Bortles? He can be that. But he's also coming from basically a perfect situation in Philadelphia with a great offensive line, good weapons, and a tremendous play caller. Is he going to get any of that? Here with the Jacksonville Jaguars? I mean, hopefully they have a good running game. Uh, that's what they're still committed to. Uh, they have should have improved play calling. Uh, Mike Zimmer won't ride for uh, John DiFilippo, but uh, a lot of other people do. Uh, he's a well-regarded offensive coordinator. Uh, I think you kind of made it sure. I think, honestly, the Jaguars were thinking small. They just need incremental improvement over Blake Bortles. Yeah. Last year, the Jags, like you said, did the ultimate double down. They basically made no, like, uh, nothing on offense to like kind of take that situation out of the mud and like they bet they betted on repeating an historic defensive performance which we've seen time and again through NFL history does not happen which uh you know spoiler alert for the Chicago Bears this year um but I I there is reason for all Bears the defense the talent is still great uh Nick Foles uh it's not by a lot but he is clearly better than Blake Bortles and uh 
I think they aren't. They're making a small bet that they just need a little bit of improvement to kind of get them back on the up and up. I think they need injury luck to just take a better turn this year. I mean, Leonard Fournette missed a bunch of games last year, whether that was injury or getting just suspended by his own team. Uh, they lost Cam Robinson, left tackle, in week two last year. Marcus Lee missed the whole year. Marcus Lee missed the whole year. Uh, left guard Andrew Norwell was lost to yep. a season-ending injury in, I believe it was October, early November, and center Brandon Leonard was hurt at the same time. Those are the three best offensive linemen. They were left with Jeremy Parnell. And they, what, they bring in Eric Flowers to play left tackle for a few <laughs> weeks last year. I mean, if those guys can just stay healthy and Fournette can get the ball in his hands, I think this team can be a lot better. I'm still wondering if Leonard Fournette is actually good at football. Right, yeah. Still, still for debate. I would say the Jags basically had the offseason this offseason that they probably should have had offseason. Like, no, like, there wasn't like a franchise-changing offseason, but they made like the little changes that they probably should have made last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, just And the question now is, is it too little too late? Sure, but like 20... Five million dollars or whatever it is per year to a quarterback should be like a franchise-changing decision. Yeah. Well, but that's hey, the market we're in in twenty. One of the rumors was they had to give him all that. They were negotiating sure. against themselves, <laughs> so they gave him the money so he wouldn't get questioned in the locker room. Locker room respect. Yeah. Let, let's go to the AFC West. Maybe the most exciting. Well, not maybe. Was the most exciting offense in the league last year, Pat? The Kansas City Chiefs. How will they follow it up with year two as Patrick Mahomes as a starter with Andy Reid? Yeah, I think the the question, well, of course, Tyreek Hill's status is the question. We don't know that yet. But beyond Tyreek Hill, the question for the Chiefs' offense is, is Damian Williams really going to lead this backfield? It's been one of the fiercest debates on Twitter. There's kind of like uh, sharps on both sides. A lot of people, like, can't believe there are people fading Damian Williams. Like, we're ignoring obvious signs. And other people, like me, are truthing Damian Williams, who's for a sure. 27-year-old who has never even hit 50 career carries. Uh, he's been a committee back going back to his days in college. And you were talking about a coach in Andy Reid who has trouble committing to, like, Hall of Fame-level running backs. Like, uh, he had trouble committing to Brian Westbrook sometimes on a weekly basis. Had trouble committing to LaShawn Was it Corral Ballcalter was the other running back with... I cannot remember. Brian Westbrook, is that talking, right? Yeah, coach who, yeah, who has trouble committing to LaShawn McCoy, Sorry. Brian Westbrook, even Kareem Hunt at times. And is, if Damian Williams, you know, doesn't bust some big plays early in the game, is Andy Reid really going to stick with Damian Williams? And I think... Uh, it, he got a signing bonus last December, but Carlos Hyde is actually due more of his salaries guaranteed than Damian Williams is this season. Not that Damian Williams is going to get cut, but the investment in Damian Williams is very modest, and they're paying the kind of lip service that is very easy to pay to a player in the offseason. And I just have very strong doubts that Damian Williams is actually going to be a, like a clear-cut lead back. I have very strong doubts that Carlos Hyde is going to be anyone important that's what I was in fantasy football say. next year. I don't, well, I don't believe in this. He was terrible with the Jaguars, terrible Vince with the Browns. Vince touchdown in Jacksonville. No, he's a big dude, and he's just, but he doesn't know how to use his dictionary use his definition of a plotter. But yeah. I mean, we, so what's the, what's the real difference between Damian Williams and Carlos Hyde? I mean, can you say for sure for certain that Damian Williams is a more talented player than Carlos Hyde? Carlos Hyde is also he can catch Three a pass touchdowns against New England. Yeah, I mean, everyone has a good game every now and then, especially in a lead off. games in a row. And the Chiefs also have plenty of like dart throw types. I mean, they, was it Daryl? Uh, Daryl Williams, Williams, Darwin Thompson. Yep. Um, so, I mean, this basically, I think this is a situation that's going to prove very frustrating. But we know it's going to be a good offense and that they're going to be goal line carries. So if he wins it, he will be, flirt with RB1 relevance. I, I wouldn't say. be shocked at all to see Andy Reid do something super annoying, like make Carlos Hyde his goal line back. Just a stud. three yards a carry. Yeah. And, like, it's running back good. talent does matter, but more importantly, it's positive game script and it's a good offensive line. And at least the Chiefs have those, had those last year, and maybe they will this year as well. Uh, all right, let's go over to Nick Minzio, the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, we saw Melvin Gordon last year. I mean, legit RB1, top five running back when he's healthy, but he 
you saw those knees give out a little bit at the end yep. of last year. So I'm really concerned. I don't know if is he going to see that workload this year, that RB1 elite fantasy RB1 workload that we're used to seeing, or is Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson going to going to get some going to get some more run than they they've typically been getting in the past couple of years? It, the Chargers are good at football, but I. They're like never at the front of my brain when I think about like the NFL. Does that make sense? Because like they do play in a soccer stadium. Maybe that's it. But this is also a team that again, you look top to bottom in talent, Nick. It's loaded. Yeah. And they even have players that like didn't show a lot in their rookie seasons that are now emerging, like Mike Williams, who's going to take on a much bigger role without Tyrell Williams. Um, and then with Melvin Gordon, like. We saw Austin Eckler. We've seen Justin Jackson. So at least they have some depth there. This is a very, very deep team. Austin Eckler was pro football focus is like number one running back last year. And he was well, not last wild. year. Like <laughs> it was like at midseason when he was actually getting yeah. more work, more touches per game than he actually got at the second half of the season. So, I mean, this dude's a player. Uh, I think he can very good totally on the receiving end. Yeah. yeah, he can chip into this Melvin Gordon. And thing. what I remember, if I'm my memory is correct, with Melvin Gordon is so many of his solid plays were like 10 yards and in and just getting over that goal line and scoring just a boatload of touchdowns. Kind of not like saying Leonard that, Fournette. Kind of like Leonard, that. except good. Right. Melvin Gordon <laughs> is good. Um, that was up for debate when, at this this point in Leonard Fournette's career. We were, I remember talking about Melvin Gordon. Is Melvin Gordon even good? He didn't but, score a touchdown yeah. his rookie year. Yeah. He did finally go over five. He was finally a little more efficient last year, went right. over five yards per carry, which, you know, can be fluky. Um, but you know, he's never stayed healthy. So like, there are two schools of thought on will Melvin Gordon continue to see that workload this year. Uh, he hasn't been extended, so do they have that belief in him? But that's nothing uncommon in a running back. And you could almost look at it as a positive for, for fantasy, which you, know, you hate to say for Melvin Gordon, but it could be they're going to run him into the ground this year and yeah. let him go to free agency next year. And like, like Nick said, that we all, he has one of the most proven backups in the league at this point. And so maybe you could see in an effort to keep him more healthy, like a more of a true. Obviously, it was kind of a committee last year. Not com- committee is too strong a word. But they run like these bad. function plays with Austin yeah, Eckler, yeah. right? It's, these yeah. designated touch plays. So I could see it going either way. My guess is that he'll probably it'll be like kind of the same workload we're used to seeing because he's going into a contract year. They'll worry about that when they get there, and if he's still standing, maybe they'll resign him. Turning to Jesse Pantusco for the. Denver Broncos and John Elway, a loyal Rotor World Football Podcast listener, I might add, each and every time. Uh, we can still, you know, be a little negative with Mr. Elway. He's on to another quarterback here with the Broncos, this time going from Case Keenum to Joe Flacco. Well, yeah, that's my, my question is, is going to be how long a leash does Joe Flacco have? Because sure. they, they signed him as basically to be a stopgap, which is kind of like what he was in Baltimore. And now they've, they've drafted a quarterback in Drew Luck who I think has a lot of flaws, but uh, in my estimation, just watching him was one of the, probably the best deep passer in college last year in terms of his arm and accuracy. Um, So yeah, I think Flacco has entered a situation that is very similar to the one he just left in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm interested to see how how long until they make that move. I think it's going to happen mid-season. I mean, Joe Flacco's not good. No. It's that simple. All he did in Baltimore by the end was just throw to tight ends, bunch of check downs. He's been legitimately one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL the past four or five years. He's a big name, though. He like, needs the utmost protection to yeah. even survive in today's NFL. Like, this yeah. dude can't move. His knee was shredded a couple years ago. Just He hasn't. He didn't have any movement skills before then. It's just gotten worse since then. He's the kind of guy, like, if you sort his multi-year stats on pro football reference or pro football focus, it doesn't really matter what the metric is. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL for almost a half-past decade, past half-decade. Uh, he will get benched. 
at some point, uh, probably sooner rather than later. But it's not going to be a good situation for the, the Broncos. I'm, I'm a University of Missouri graduate. I've seen every game Drew Locke has ever played. And to me, you're a big fan. I well, I was a big fan of Mizzou. Like he's the first Mizzou quarterback I've ever really believed in. But something I was well, saying, I mean, like Chase Daniels, yeah, the other one. Yeah, something I was ever saying. <laughs> I'm not a Gabber fan, even in college. But something I said over and over again to people during the pre-draft process was Drew Locke more than like any of these quarterback prospects. He like truly needs a year. He needs a year to develop, and he needs to land with a good coaching staff, like a and like a known like a team we know can develop a quarterback and. Now we have the Broncos who haven't developed any quarterbacks in a long time. Uh, kind of an unknown offensive coordinator. Uh, not a lot of talent on offense. And I disagree with you there. Like, I think they do have talent. They have talent outside, outside they have, for they sure. They have theoretical talent. It's and very I think unproven. Philip Lindsay's a good football player. And Cortland Sutton is still an unproven commodity. Sanders Deshaun Hamilton is still an unproven yeah. commodity. Deshaun Hamilton in the slot. So they, what they really have is untapped upside. We don't okay. know if But I don't have. think the slot is where Drew Locke is going to excel. He had a hard time with no. simple touch he passes He finally started making some touch passes. Last year, but that's yeah. assuming Drew Locke excels anywhere. But yeah. okay, <laughs> let's close it out the AFC with the Oakland Raiders. Okay, where to start here with the Oakland Raiders? Okay, this is a team. Let me ask you all this question. Excited for hard knocks. Okay, who led the Raiders in receptions in 2018? Oh, Jalen uh, Richard. Yes, Jalen Richard, <laughs> running back with 68 receptions. You and also had Jared Cook, Jared Cook was with 68 receptions. No longer on the team. Jory Nelson, 63 receptions, no longer on the team. Seth Roberts, 46. This offseason, they've added Antonio Brown. They've added Tyrell Williams. They've added Ryan Grant, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, J.J. Nelson. There is no reason at all that John Gruden cannot put a quality offense on the field this year. But I have major reservations if he can do that. There's one reason. Yeah, say there is, Derek Carr. Say there is a reason. His <laughs> right. name is Derek Carr. So, so one, can John Gruden you know, warp into the year 2019 and actually have a modern offense? And two, is he going to be successful with Derek Carr as his quarterback? I just don't know how this, I don't know why they signed these guys like J.J. Nelson, Tyrell Williams that run all these deep ball, like deep, like they, they run their routes downfield and Derek Carr is one of the worst downfield passing quarterbacks in the league. So I just don't know how this offense is going to like mesh together and they traded Kelechi Osemele. Big, uh, one of their best offensive linemen. So that's almost seventy million on Trent Brown. Yeah, I mean, right tackle. It, it all hinges on Derek Carr, is what it is. Yeah, and he said these are like uh, Derek Carr. You said does not excel down the field, and Jay Gruden or John Gruden didn't give him any chances. Like he believes that he that was not a part of the offense last year. He did not see like well maybe we'll see if he can improve as a downfield passer. He didn't give him that opportunity. Maybe you can say it was because of the talent they had. You know, now they have one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He is on the wrong side of thirty, but. There's very little reason to believe Derek Carr is going to like turn into the quarterback. Basically, they need to make like kind of like m- m- you know make this thing hit on all cylinders. They're in a brutal division too. Yeah. It. it I mean, I know it's early slash mid July, but is Antonio Brown just a complete fade for you? I just price he is for me. Yeah. I wouldn't say he is because you know he can do a lot of he can do a lot of work on like short to intermediate targets. And John Gruden strikes me as the kind of person who's going to want to prove a point. Yeah, we were not dumb for acquiring Antonio Brown, so he's going to funnel this even if it's not smart for like the game plan. They will funnel looks to Antonio Brown. And so. game script will be in their favor because yes. they're going to be losing a sure. lot of games. So and broken plays, we know that's where Antonio Brown. Shined. And where Derek Carr uh, does not shine. Does not. That's why Jalen Richard led them in receptions last year. So it's always a great sign of your offense when a running back and a tight end are the top two uh, <laughs> leaders in receptions. Not a, uh, just a sign of a well-functioning offense. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.